Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChampaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. My name is Craig Hansen and today I'm joined by Thomas Duck, a Manchester City fan from Fort Worth, Texas. Thomas writes for the Manchester City SB Nation fan page Bitter and Blue and we're delighted to have him here with us today to talk all things Man City. Hey, Tom, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Craig. So, full disclosure, before we go on with the rest of the podcast, I myself am a Man City fan. I've been a Man City fan since 1999. I, have a, I, haven't, I haven't spoke about that on the podcast yet, where this is going to be episode 10. We speak to a different guest every week about their club and all about their fandom. And so I try and keep it neutral. I don't obviously bring up who I support and stuff like that, but this is the first time that I'm mentioning it. So... I've been a Man City fan for, what is that now, 22 years. That relationship's kind of um, changed in lots of different ways over the years, ups and downs. And it's a complicated time to be a Man City fan, I think, and in lots of different ways. And that's one of the things I'm interested in, in getting involved in with you today. But first of all, I want to talk to you about how and when you became a Man City fan. So obviously you're over there in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, so it's not your traditional thing where, you know, Everyone in the street supports them or whatever. You've got a unique story, I suppose. So tell us a little bit about that story. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I'm kind of a sports mad person anyway, since I was uh, a small child. Uh, and growing up, uh, I'm a little bit older. I'll give away my age during this for sure. Uh, but uh, uh, I was part of a like the first generation of American youth who were really exposed to football as a participation sport. So I started playing when I was eight years old and I played all the way up through uh, my first year uh, at university. So um, also when I was a child with that, we had a local a program in the States called Soccer Made in Germany, which is a, we- a weekly kind of highlight or compacted game show. It was hosted by a guy called uh, Tony Charles anyway. And it would show Bundesliga highlights every week. So I got into really watching competitive European football by watching uh, Bundesliga highlights as like a six-year-old. Okay. And then uh, I also remember at that time, my favorite player in the world was Franz Beckenbauer because he played for New York Cosmos. And I actually got to see that every once in a while. Uh, and so I, I followed international football, but it's it's kind of hard. It's been, well, traditionally hard to consume in the U.S. There's not a, there wasn't a lot of a lot of it on television, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, back in the early 2000s, I really kind of became, you know, captivated by the Spanish golden generation. And, you know, and through my through my times, I had liked other players, 
Um, you know, obviously, but then Maradona and Beckham and Thierry Henry was one of my favorite players. But I really fell in love with David Silva uh, when I started to watch that Spanish team. And he signed for City in 10. And it was just one of those things where I started to kind of I always would follow kind of the team of the player that I liked. And so I started following in the 2010 and 11 season. And then the 2011 and 12 season happened. And so that finish to the Premier League season really hooked me in. So I, I kind of came to the club just before that whole uh, kind of arc of them coming back to the, you know, the Premier League and and finally winning the title kind of took, uh, you know, went to it got to its apex. So, um, like I said, you know, I, I had followed Arsenal, I'd followed Man U, I'd followed, you know, but I really just fell in love with City on that day in particular, but that story was amazing to me. So uh, that's, that's how my fandom really uh, solidified was that. So you accidentally came in at just the right time, which is funny because we were speaking yeah. a few weeks ago to a Canadian guy called Cole who supports Aston Villa. And he had the exact opposite experience where they had their kind of glory, well, good run under Martin O'Neill. And then he wasn't following the them at that time. And he came in, just before they got relegated and had like years oh. of despair. So it's so funny. But that's great yeah. that you came in at a good time. Yeah, I mean, I didn't suffer through the long times. Although, I mean, you know, 99 was a great year for Man City too. So, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a great year in a different way, of course. And, and, it, and I'm sure that in our long lives, there will be lows. Maybe there um, will for be. Sure. For sure, there's going to be some lows again one day. Um, so... You mentioned David Silva there. After he was kind of the the way in, but after that, did you um, find any other players in those early days, the early 2010s, that you really loved? Oh. And do you remember any first games that really, you, you know, you, you kind of um, you remember really, really vividly? Um, well, obviously the QPR game stands out, um, but um, uh, the players. It, it's a, it probably easier to mention the players who I really, really started to to love their games. Uh, company st- just jumps off the page at you whenever he's on. Was it whenever he was on the pitch? He was just such a fantastic center back, and just you could really tell he was a rock for the team. You know, as they as he went, they went. You know, he was emotionally their leader. Um, that first season that I was really paying attention, 2002, uh, 10, 2011, Joe Hart had his probably best campaign. Uh, he had like 29 clean sheets in all competitions that year. So there's another one. Uh, and um, obviously Aguero uh, and Balotelli. I, the volatility of Mario Balotelli was one of my favorite parts of City as well. But I mean, forever a legend right there. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Sammy Nasri, uh, Clichy, all those guys were fantastic. But yeah, company would Silva and Aguero enough the guys who are getting statues um were probably my three favorites for sure yeah i think uh company is probably my favorite player ever and silver's the best player we ever had i think yeah technically speaking but i love company company's just you, you can't beat him but um so so i guess as a um relatively new fan we're talking maybe like what is it 12 years or something like that and an overseas fan um I was wondering if you went back and sort of watched the old footage of, you know, the the playoff final win and and may, maybe even further back. As I, I, I can't say that I um, went back into the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. I know a little bit about the history, but um, pretty much for me, I've just, you know, I've only really watched what I, since I was into it. But um, some people, they actually go back into the archives and they look up all the history and they... And they even watch all the footage. Did you do that? And if so, how sort of far back did you go? I know you mentioned 99 was a good year. So clearly, you know about 99. Um, and, and I guess the year after that as well. Which which kind of nostalgic memories do you have from from watching things like that on YouTube? As a writer, because I, I am going to I do write about Man City. I have researched some history aspects of the team, you know, uh, all going all the way back to uh, you know, the 1880s and, and, and that, but if I, I haven't really watched, certainly not 
you know, games from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, but I have watched highlights and some other productions. You know, I mean, I'm aware of Goder. I'm aware of some Summer Bee. I'm aware of, you know, obviously Colin Bell. Um, and, and, you know, the, the legends of the club and stuff like that. But I haven't really taken the time to sit and watch a lot of like, uh, like certainly not full games, but a lot of highlights and stuff of older stuff. I do read a lot about that. kind of Talk thing. about a man who deserves a statue right there. Sean Goater, my first love. Yeah, there you go. That was my sure. first love. That was my Aguero in uh, <laughs> back in, the, in 1999. Because the, the situation for me that was quite strange was I'm from a town called Warsaw, which is just outside Birmingham. Um, it probably doesn't mean anything to you. It, it, it's you probably don't know what it, people here don't know what it is. But <laughs> our team right now is in League Two. Yeah. But at the time they were in um, Division Two, but League One we call it now. And uh, it's funny because my little town's team actually got promoted automatically, and Man City went up in the playoffs. Um, so technically, my local team was better than Man City at that point. And when um, they came to play us, I was playing for the Warsaw kids team and I, I followed Warsaw because I didn't know any different. And I just fell in love with the sky blue kits. And yeah. I just remember saying to my dad, wow, such a cool, you know, I never saw a, the, the, the shirt look that cool. And after that, I started following. And it's funny because that was um, in a way similar to your thing. I kind of got in at a good time, I guess, because it wasn't plain sailing from there. I mean, we had a decade where it was kind of up and down. It wasn't amazing, but I, I didn't know when I was a kid that in two years' time we'd be in the Premier League, sort of thing. So, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, during that time, Sean Gota was uh, was a legend for sure. I'd love to meet him; would be a dream. Um, but I wanted to ask you if there's been any kind of low points, as you see it. So, um, in the last sort of ten years, I mean, obviously, I I'm a fan too, so I've been I've been watching, but I haven't really thought about it myself. What I would consider during the last sort of decade or 15 years, what were the worst times? Because it just feels like it's only good times. But right. what would you say has been kind of the lowest, the low time? Well, I mean, low times for a Man City fan over the last 10 to 15 years kind of makes you sound like a spoiled brat <laughs> kind of child. Uh, you know, the, the the Champions League disappointments that, you know, the quarterfinal oh, bowouts, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely been some of that. Um, but really Even the final. Yeah, the final, it's a tough, that, well, I'll, yeah, that one's a, it, I, for me as an American fan, it's, it, the final was kind of a two edged sword because, yes, Man City lost. I was gutted. But then you're watching the trophy ceremony and there's an American, Christian Pulisic, holding up the Champions League trophy, which is something I never would have dreamed of cool. as a teenager that that would ever happen. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And it's, and, and at least we got there. First, uh, first time ever. So, I mean, that's, it's, it's, you know, it's a progression. We all want everything right now. Uh, but you know, you can see the build. Okay. So we, we made that we were having a hard time getting through the quarters. We finally break through the quarters, make it all the way to the final. Now it's, how do you get over that? Hump, you know what I mean? And, and it's tough to say, you know, with the, with the squad that city has, with the manager that city has that, you know, that you, you don't get moral victories. They're just, you don't, they don't exist for you. Right. You, you either win or you lose and that's it. You know, you don't have that. You're not that plucky little club anymore from, you know, from the east side of Manchester who is coming, you know, taking down Giants. You are now the Giants. Yeah, that's the that's what's so interesting. Well, we're going to come on to that. But the conundrum of the changing of the club and, and how it is to be a fan, like it's, it's such a like you said, when you are that team, it's different because if you don't win everything constantly, you're kind of disappointed, which is strange. Um, yeah. But I guess I wanted to, to move on to a couple of things now to do with you being over there. Um, and the first one is, obviously we have this huge rivalry with Man United and you don't have to be from Manchester to feel that. I'm not from Manchester and I hate Man United. I just wondered, do you hate Man United? And does that extend, do you feel that same rivalry? Does it extend to you in the same way? Uh, well, uh, first, uh, easy answer, i say it does. Uh, you know, and that's... <laughs> That's for me, it, when I'm in on something, I'm all the way in. Right. So once it became Man City was going to be the club, then I was all in on Man City, you know, and and obviously I also came in at a time, you know, we'll talk about we, I came in at a time where Man City, you know, really took off. And at the same time, Man United kind of took a step back, you know, with Alex Ferguson leaving and, a dream and come all that true. kind of stuff. That, 
Right, right. Kind of tasting, letting the other side taste the yeah. medicine for yeah. a little while. It's, it's pretty nice. Um, so, yeah, it does come across. Uh, the Derby is the biggest day on my calendar every time it comes up, right? So we, we clear everything and we don't do anything else for the Derby. Um, so yeah, I, the the hatred is real. Nice, and it and it extends across the across the pond, as it were. I just like to say that um, the I guess the hate the hatred is it's still there, but in a way in a weird way, it's kind of um, I've come to realize over the years that. My hatred, it definitely was about envy because the yeah. more, the, the better we get and the more successful we get and the the lower they fall, the less I hate them. And I don't care yeah. as much about them, which is weird. And it makes me realize that may, what I would say is I think maybe it's just growing up as well and maturing, but I give them a bit more credit, you know, like when they have good players, I say, oh, he's a good player or, you know, they played well. Yeah. I find them a bit more mellow about it. And I think the reason is just because, they're not winning the league every year while we're fourteenth. Um, if right. that was the case, right. I still would give them no credit. I would hate them. <laughs> right. And I think maybe that's what it is, right? It must be the same for you. We're winning so much that do you even have the yeah. energy to hate them anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it'll, I think it's going to be a little easier this year. To be honest with you, I think there will be a better side this year than they have been over the last four or five. Uh, but you're right. It, it's easier to appreciate their players when they're not constantly drubbing you. Um, uh, Bruno Fernandez, for example, I, I, he's amazing. Just an amazing player. He's not as good as KDB, but he's exactly. He's good. I agree. He isn't as good as KDB, <laughs> but he is great. But I, I couldn't say that uh, 15 years ago, even 10 probably. But now no. I can. Never would have given. It's him an credit. interesting thing. But I, 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 the next thing I wanted to ask you about you being an American Man City fan is you just said when the derby happens, you clear the the day and and you're fully onto it. Do you know some other friends over there who are fans? Is there like a community and stuff in Texas? Uh, well, you know, there are, I don't have any, uh, other Man City fans here, but I do know fans, uh, you know, for uh, guys who support Chelsea and I have, uh, coworkers who support Liverpool and we talk and I actually have, you know, so it's a pretty international community in the States in general, but you know, I have a coworker who's from Venezuela. So we talk about football a lot. I have a coworker who's from Germany. We talk all about coworker who's from Spain. So we talk, you know, and so there's, there is that. Um, honestly, it's funny. Um, this past year was the first time I ever like actually went out and went to a, a pub, a proper pub and watched a Man City game. Actually, it was for the Carabao Cup final against Tottenham. I was uh, actually in Chicago. So I was like, I just decided I was going to go to their, their, this pub. It was called uh, H.A. Hudson's Public House and watched. And it was the first time I had been in a large group of City fans watching a game together and it was I mean, and it was a really good great game of course it, it was uh, it was a really awesome experience it's so cool that that's going on because how long they can't be too long that that kind of thing's been happening that you could know so many people from work and they all have different teams when did this start uh, to go off man city really briefly when did that start really yeah. picking up you know that um it seems that a lot of guys that are into football yeah well so over the last, it's really the last decade or so, right? Um, the Premier League has been on uh, NBC, which is, I don't, if, if you're not familiar, it, the huge broadcast network. And yeah. they have their own s- sports network, much like Sky Sports. They have NBC Sports. And they started broadcasting Premier League games uh, starting in 2013. So the popularity of, and it's Premier League mornings every Saturday and Sunday morning. They're showing all the games. Of course, it's morning time for us, right? 7 a.m., 8 a.m., but everyone gets up, you know, and so there's a lot of people in the States who have been now exposed to the game on a regular basis, have good access to it and can watch it. So the popularity has grown, particularly with the Premier League. And now this year we have other streaming services who are now carrying Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, Champions League, Europa League, Women's Champions League. Uh, the Balicero from Brazil is broadcast here, and now the Argentinian Premier Division is broadcast here. And of course, we have MLS and Liga MX. So, so football's building; it's building in the U.S. So, I don't know if you should be afraid of that, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it's but it is building. I think that the 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 well, we're going to come on to that yeah. in a second. But the way the game's changed, I think there's no going back on that anyway. So it, it is; it's already changed unrecognizably. But but I think it's so cool that that um that or there's a community there and everybody can get yep. together and even go to pubs sometimes and watch it. I think that's really and particularly cool. Particularly Man City. Man City, there are supporters clubs all over the U.S., all over the place. 
So there is a Dallas-Fort Worth Sky Blues supporter club. There is one in New York. There's one in Chicago. There's one, and there's one in small towns too. So so cool. So so cool. Yeah. Uh, and the the final question on that on, on your your kind of fandom as as a kind of um, American Man City fan. Have you ever managed to get over to Manchester to see a game? And is this something that you dream of and that you kind of maybe trying to work towards? That that is that's the case. I have not been to England. Um, we were planning a trip uh, to England. Uh, however, there was a small global virus that stopped the trip that we were planning. Ah, um, so we're going to have to reset on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that, I mean that is the plan. We're going to make it to England. Uh, and we're going to go to Manchester and we're going to the Etihad. And if, uh, you know, if we get, to, it doesn't matter who it is. I don't care if it's the Wycombe Wanderers who we just got drunk <laughs> against, uh, in the Carabao Cup. I don't care who we see. Uh, it's Manchester City and I definitely will. We will be getting there. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, I hope you can make it happen. I had the same question with the, the Canadian guy I spoke to and it's the same thing. It's a big, uh, you know, it's a lot of money. It's a big commitment. So I know it's not an easy thing to do. Hopefully someday you can make that happen. Um, now we're going to move on to, um, a little something, I guess you could say this is the tough questions part of the podcast. So, um, even though I'm a Man City fan, obviously I have to, um, try and get into the nitty gritty, even with the club I love. So first of all, not an easy, it could be an easy question to answer. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll, it'll be easy for you. Have Man City bought success? I mean, I think there's certainly you could make that case, right? But I, I think that is the way. I mean, I, I and I, I know I guess other fans don't want to admit it. that that's the way football is, right? I mean, when a club yeah. becomes success, successful, it's because they've not just spent the money, but spent the money on the right players. But yeah, so City has, of course, bought some of its success. I mean, you look at the transfer bill over the last just five years, and it's it's pretty astronomical. I mean, you look at the the um, the back line. Right. In January of 2018, they set an record transfer for Imeric Laporte for 57 million pounds. Right. And then 18 months later, they're buying Ake, deciding in three weeks that eh, I don't know if that's enough. Right. Since and not getting Koulibaly. So let's add Ruben Diaz for another 50 or 61 million pounds plus yeah. Nicolas Otamende. So, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly um, you could make the case that Man City has bought success. I would I would. I would say that it, that's the way it works in European football a lot of the time. As much as we may not like it, we love the structure of English football. We love the plucky little clubs who make the run against the big guys, right? But yeah, by and large, if you're going to have a lot of success, you've paid the money for the players and the managers. Yeah, on the point of the backline, I actually heard a funny stat about that the other day. I can't remember um, who said it, but there was a moment where our backline, which was on the pitch, cost more than the total investment of Brighton for their entire history, including their stadium, which yeah, is just not so surprising. hilarious. It's, it's, it is out. Of, it's a little bit embarrassing at times. That, yeah. that part. I but guess. what I would say, I, I agree with you that that's the way it is in European football. And I think to, um, yeah, we have ramped it up, but people at Real Madrid were buying success 20 years ago. Man United were buying. There was a time when I think even when Juve was spending like 50 million, uh, I think Buffon was like 30 or even maybe more yep. for a goalkeeper. And this is in 1999 when they signed him from Palmer, yep. I think. So this has been going on for a long time. Uh, when I was a kid and Man United were winning everything, they were every year buying someone for 30 million, which at the time was kind of like what we're doing with Grealish when they bought Veron for 30 right. that was like mind-blowing so I think every club does it and that's kind of where we are but in like you said the thing we love is when the plucky underdogs go up against the big boys and for them to do that there needs to be big boys right so if right. if everyone is if it's like um I don't know how true that is but we always hear the NFL analogy over here that is it the NFL or the NBA or something where you have that draft situation where that the worst team gets to have the the first pick of the best player so actually all the leagues over here do it that way so in theory like there are big dynasties and stuff but really anyone could win or whatever i guess right is what is the idea or i mean that's cool obviously that's a different thing but i think part of the thing that makes it so cool with european football when leicester win the league or when lille win the league yeah is because they've got those insane odds to overcome with Man City and PSG. And so I guess you could argue that it's makes those stories possible. 
Well, yeah, they've done the work to, 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 to develop their youth programs, to bring their players up and to not lose them. Right. And then they finally put it together for one great season. And then at the end, they can sell all those players and restock the cabinet. So <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's and the big clubs want to buy them. So that's it. Yep, and that's that's where we are, and I think that that debate will be going on forever, whether or not they've bought success. But um, do you think that there are any elements of the way the club operates that trouble you? So you know that we've had this kind of controversy with FFP and and kind of um, getting into getting in trouble with UA for all the time. Um, in general, do you think the club's w- uh, well run, and are there any elements of it that that bother you that you wish were different? You know, I do think the club is well run overall. I think that's fairly obvious. I mean, and the, the way that they've uh, built up the facilities and the players and you know, that, that part of it. And I, I do understand, you know, uh, particularly with the FIFA fair play rules, it, it's tough from from a management standpoint with a with a directive from your owner that says you must win the Champions League. You have to do everything you can to do that. So in order to do that, you're going to kind of rub up against those lines and kind of try to push the envelope a little bit to, to get there. So, I mean, I, and uh, obviously they did have the sanctions against them with FFP, which they beat in court. Um, so, I, you know, I think that I don't think that's kind of um uh, something i don't necessarily like but it's it's one of those things where you have to look at other fans and kind of just shrug your shoulders and go well uh <laughs> what do you know <laughs> you know uh i think uh, i think the fifa fair play rules uh thing in particular is it's going to be a sticky subject going forward i i don't think that's our last uh, brush with ffb yeah i don't really support it anyway to be honest because from what i i from what i understand of it it's something like a team can spend um, a certain percentage of their salary or sorry, their, right. their turnover, whatever, which the problem with that is that if you're already a gigantic club like Man City, because of the investment over the years, they've developed the company to the point that it now is a gigantic mm-hmm. revenue builder, the same as Man United, Chelsea. So those teams can spend this percentage of that, which is a huge amount of money. Right. And if you're a team like, I don't know, Norwich, your turnover is way smaller. So, your your percentage is way your amount of money that you can spend is way smaller. I don't actually see how that is fair because if a billionaire wants to come in and buy Norwich and throw five hundred million at it, that then they can compete. Right. So, but if anything, FFP, I feel like right. with F, yeah, you're holding them back. You're not holding us back. We've got loads of money. We we make money anyway. It's like a it's like a a European football caste system. You're you're pretty much yeah. wherever you are. That's where you're going to have to stay now. That's what's so strange. And then I think because most fans don't actually, or a lot of people don't really look into how it works. They assume it's this thing holding back the big boys and fighting for, it's not, it's the opposite. If anything, it means that we're going to be great forever. And you guys below us, well, I mean, you need to magically become huge in the Asian market with no investment. Or right, exactly. Yeah. What are you going to do? Just it's. I think that we should basically, you know, kind of Wild West free market capitalism model, just let the billionaires buy everyone and then it will be actually fair. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I 100% agree. I don't, I, you know, I mean, obviously money is a huge factor and you want it to be fair, but I don't think that necessarily the FIFA fair play rules are doing what they're designed to do. What did you think about the whole European Super League thing? Because here that was a massive, massive, uh, you know, People just despised it, as I'm sure you saw from media coverage. But it seems like that's quite a British thing, because when I speak to Spanish people, Italians, they're kind of like, what's the big deal? Who cares? Let's join the Super League. What was it like as an American Man City fan? And what do you think about that model? Do you see moral issues with it? What's your take on it? So I think the one thing you got to know about, uh, for me anyway, was I love English football and I love the way it's set up and I love the tiered system and and all that stuff. And I think that the Super League would have been very detrimental to that. I think that's a very real concern. Conceptually, thinking about the clubs that would compete in this league, boy, would that have been some really great football and potential. But again, it's it's a way to set up for those clubs. Okay, we are always going to be at the top now. Right. Our clubs will be the, the the big, big clubs in the world. And we're going to bake that in because we'll, we can never get relegated out of this league. We will always be in the Super League. Um, I, I And I think for me, I would have liked to known from a Man City fan standpoint what the conversation was with the city football group. 
Like, was it, oh man, this thing's happening. You know, we have an opportunity to get in on it. We're going to actually have to do it regardless because we can't get left behind or more realistically, probably, wow, that sounds like a lot of money. So we'll go ahead and do that too. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> yeah. I think that it was probably that simple. Yeah. And I think I'm the same as you. I'm, I'm very, very, very much against it. I'm very glad it didn't happen. But if we talk about it just hypothetically, it would have been interesting to see how we would have got on in that league. Would we have won that often? The right. football would have been great. But like you said, in, in practice, it would just destroy the pyramid. And and also, it's it's locking out the potential for any other clubs like how we were in the past to, to emerge again. You know, if, if Newcastle got taken over by that, that Saudi investment fund, they could have had the chance to try and replicate what we did, and then they would have been shut out. And, you know, right. it's impossible now. It, oh, it would have been a crazy thing, but it's you'd be surprised how many people don't really see an issue with it at all. It's it's strange. I've spoke to a lot of Europeans and they don't really see a problem. They just think it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that the football would be amazing. Like it potentially could be the, the best league in the history of the world. But yeah, again, you, you lose so much from the small clubs. You know, I think the proposal was it was going to be a 20-team league, 15 permanent spots, and then yeah. five teams that would rotate in and out. Um, it's just not enough. It's not enough. No, I agree. And and I think a lot of the teams who signed up for it were – I mean, I guess that there's the, the money element, but in terms of the fans of the – I think that's – the fans of those clubs were quick to realize how, like, dumb that would be for them. For example, Spurs and Arsenal – they're bottom of that league every year, let's be oh, fair. Oh, every year. Every yeah. year. So if you're an Arsenal fan campaigning for that, I don't know what you're campaigning for to just constantly get beat. You'll never see your team win again, basically, right. if you're playing. I honestly, league. I was very proud of the fans and the reaction and them using their leverage to kill that league. Yeah. I really was very was proud awesome. of them. Me too. Yeah. Really, really cool. I had to give Man United credit on that. That was another another thing that I gave their fans immense credit for, for what they did there. Um, to finish off with this kind of um, tough questions part, getting back to the spending of City, it's everybody spends, Man United spend, but we we always had that thing that at least when you look at the British record, you know, it's Man United Pogba, then Man United Lukaku, then Man United Maguire. And now we've kind of jumped to the top of that. Right. Even that, right. you know, we're you know we're at the top of that now. Not just the spending, but we are the record holders. Um, is there a limit to how much more we can spend than the others until we kind of lose our identity? Like, if it gets to the point that we're spending double what Man United do, sort of over a five-year period, do you start to feel? Does it cheapen any victories? Would it cheapen winning the the Champions League to you? Yeah, you know, I think it, it does. There's, you know, a law of diminishing returns or whatever you want to call it. I think at some point it does. You know, if if you spend that much more, it's just, you know, I, I mean, certainly it puts pressure on the club. If you're spending that much more than everyone else, then, you know, if you don't win, oh, my, it's a, a huge embarrassment. Right. Uh, but I, I, I just don't I don't. I know I know the conversation about cities ruining the game, cities buying the game, whatever. But make no mistake that Chelsea and Manchester City and Liverpool and they're all coming along for the ride. I mean, there was a lot was made about the about paying 100 million pounds for Jack Grealish in you know in, in in late July, and then less than two weeks later, Chelsea buy Lukaku, a player they had sold. Right? They buy him back for 97 and a half million pounds, and nobody raises an eyebrow. It is interesting. It is interesting. They they carefully make sure they spend a bit less than a hundred to make sure it's not the record, and right. and uh, it, it's it's petty at some point. And, and the fact that I don't remember the uproar when they signed Pogba for ninety or ninety five or something years ago. This is years ago, and and you 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 do feel sometimes that we're kind of treated differently in a way because we're the new boys, I guess. Because I think that's the thing. United did it in the past. Chelsea did it, but. It's almost like after a while, people forget. Maybe that will happen to us. Maybe Newcastle will be the next one. And in right. 20 years, Man City will just be established. No one will question them anymore for right. spending money. It'll be all about Newcastle buying the success. Right. But right now, we're that new money club that yep. comes along. And, you know, we're not quite, uh, you know, we don't have quite the pedigree just yet. But we're yeah. getting there, I think. We are getting there. And um, speaking of getting there, we're, we're winning titles galore. We're winning 
cup competitions galore. And all those things are fantastic, of course they are. But the big one for the club and for the fans is, of course, the Champions League. Um, I need to get your take on the Champions League final because there are a lot of different views on that, on what happened. I have to be brutally honest. I love Pep Guardiola. I think the guy's a genius. Love the football we play. I was so happy when he came in. I've loved the whole era of him being there. But I do think... I don't want to be overdramatic and say, you know, he robbed the cup from our hands. We had it in our hands. <laughs> he took it from us. But it's a little bit... I really thought last year he didn't seem to be doing that thing he does every year in the quarters where he does a crazy tactical experiment and we lose. It really looked like he was staying nice and cool. We got all the way to the final and you thought, okay, just play the exact same team again and we will win and we'll be champions. And he's playing... When he played Sterling, I wasn't pleased because I love Raheem Sterling, but he had a, he had a terrible season. What did you make of that? Mm. How much do you blame Pep for what happened? Yeah. So when you saw the eleven come out for me, and Fernandinho wasn't in it, I I I just I didn't understand not putting your captain on the pitch, your best defensive midfielder, regardless of his age. I I don't I didn't understand that. I don't understand the thought of it. I I do understand. You know, he, he had very recently lost two games to Chelsea, right? Yeah. So I, I'm thinking, does he think we've got to do something a little differently? I mean, the FA Cup semifinal, they lost. They lost the Premier League match, their last Premier League match against Chelsea last year. And so, you know, obviously Thomas Tuchel's never lost to Guardiola's Man City side since he's come to he's Chelsea. He's in his head. Right, he's exactly. In his head. So was that the, the thing? But for me, it was, it was the omission of Fernandinho from that squad immediately I thought we're in trouble. I think we're in trouble. And I, it bore itself out. I mean, look, we didn't get run off the pitch. We lost 1-0. Uh, but Chelsea has that quality for whatever between their their players and Tuchel's tactics that uh, they, they were the one team that really had Man City apparently figured out and could expose their lack of a true nine, right? So uh, other than that, no one else really could crack that code. And Chelsea's got the formula, uh, you know, at this point, it looks like. Yeah, you've got to give Chelsea credit, and especially Tuchel. I mean, the work he's done there to build them tactically, and especially defensively. they got such great squad depth. Apart from us, they're, they've probably got the best squad in the world, I think, in terms of depth. They've got so many great players to call on. Yep. And it's no shame losing to them, of course, but I just feel that with the team that we had and the coach that we had, that opportunity, I really feel that we should have won. And like I said, I've actually blocked out of memory almost the errors that he made. Because right. I was so, when the lineup came up on the screen, all I remember thinking was I turned to my friend and I said, we've lost this game. Yeah, no, I felt Before the, the game kicked off. And and we had, and, and I, pff, it's it's a crazy decision. But we just got to pray that next time, if, if something's working in the Champions League, if playing this, I think it was, we were playing Foden pretty much every game. Oh, yeah. He was banging goals in against PSG, Dortmund. Don't change it. Keep it the same. Play the same structure we always do. Don't make a last-minute change at the end to try and catch them out. Don't right. do that. Well, that's the thing. It's it's that it's that criticism of Pep where he kind of almost he's so smart that he almost sometimes outsmarts himself. Right. Yes. <laughs> so he does. He does. Hundred percent. Yeah. He, he definitely does. Um, okay. So the big news for City right now. Well, maybe there's some more big news now with Harry Kane um, agreeing to stay yeah. in Spurs. We can come on. We can come on to that maybe. But the biggest news of the summer is the arrival of Jack Grealish. Obviously, Jack's a fantastic player. Uh, anyone would be happy to have him. I'm not like sad that he's with us or anything. But did we need him um, with with the level of player that we have in that area? Do you think he's going to take us up a level? What do you think he brings to the to the equation? Well, certainly, I think he improves. Adding a player like Jack Grealish is always going to improve your side. And if you can pair a Jack Grealish with a Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, and and you saw, I'm sure you saw, even against the even against Spurs, the link up on the left hand side with Raheem Sterling <laughs> and Grealish was just yeah. it was beautiful. Um, yeah. And I think there is an at least an element when a player like Grealish becomes available and in this case maybe man city more made him made made villa make him available but yeah you can't let another club it's 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 that whole mentality you can't let another club go buy that guy right you can't let a united come in swoop in take jack Grealish, and pass you so that's that's and they would have sooner or later someone would have he was was not staying at villa 
not the quality of player that he is. He's just, and it's not to say that Villa's a bad club. They just don't have the the resources to look at a hundred million pound bid for their midfielder and say, no, we don't want to do that. You know, it's a hundred no, million pounds. And for, for the that. player too. I mean, he obviously loves the club, but realistically they can't win anything real now. Maybe in five years, yeah. if they keep building, they can. But right now he just, he has to leave. Doesn't but he? in five years, Grealish is almost 30. Right. And so he has to think about that from a if I want to win trophies, if I want to compete for Champions League, if I want to be lifting the Premier League trophy, Villa is probably not the place I need to be, even though I love this club and I was raised in this club. Yeah, that's why you can't begrudge him a move. It's the same thing with Kane. I think you've I'm not saying the club has to sell. At the end of the day, the club has the asset. The club does what the club wants to do. But from a fan's point of view, you can't begrudge Grealish wanting to leave. And as you said, that link up with Sterling's great. It's going to be great for England, I think, now because they're going to be doing that week in, week out. And then when they play for England, oh, it's just going to be imagine him, Sterling, and Foden. Oh, yeah. it's going to well, be that's just glorious. That that's the real shame of Kane not coming because then they would have those four all linking up week in, week out, and then bringing that experience of playing to, to the English national team. I mean, with the World Cup coming up in 18 months. Oh, it would have been beautiful. Yeah. It would be like those great sides, like when Spain were winning all those trophies, yeah. when they were effectively Barcelona, when Germany win titles and they are basically Bayern Munich mm-hmm. and they have that fantastic chemistry. We would, we've still got obviously a fair few players. I mean, a lot of the players in the team are City players, but if we could have added Kane as well, it would be almost Man City 11, which would have been great. Yeah, I think... It- I understand Daniel Levy's a tough um, negotiator. I, I don't know. I wonder if it's a little short-sighted by them. I, not Obviously, he didn't want to be forced to sell his player. But Spurs, man, I, I, I really feel like looking at a 150 million euro bid and turning it down in the financial state that most clubs are in right now, it had to be super difficult. And I wonder if it's not short-sighted by them because that's a huge influx of cash. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I think that the key point that a lot of people have made is that, look, Kane is unbelievable. Top scorer and top assister. It's crazy. But they finished seventh with that. I think without that, they're still going to finish seventh or eighth. They're not right. like, they've got a great team with Son. You've, they've won two back-to-back games. They've got a great new coach, Nuno. They're not going to finish like 50. They'll finish where they were, but with £150 million to rebuild and, and maybe next season go even right. higher. and. And next year, he's not going to be worth that. He's old. He's getting up there. He's injury prone. I think it was really short-sighted on their part. Yeah, I think his sure. his dreams of going to City to compete for, for titles are done. City will not revisit this, I don't think, in a year. Because next year, you've got, well, not to get into all that, but Holland and, and all these other players come along. So It's strange, but with all this kind of transfer hubbub going on, every day there's a new thing. And now that Kane has uh, declared his desire to stay at Spurs. Now we're hearing yet again the Ronaldo thing. Now, this is something I'm really interested to get your take on because Man City fans, I guess, have different views on this. What's your view on Ronaldo? Would you take him? Would you welcome him with open arms? I I think it's difficult to not take him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I understand the... the um... I understand the the point of view of not adding that personality to your side, especially the hatred is real. Well, there's not, not even just the Manchester United thing. Cristiano is just a, this dominant person. And when he, the club, it is no longer about the club, right? That whole, we just put city, just put out their documentary together, right? Well, if, if Ronaldo was on that, he would be together (laughs) with Ronaldo. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not the same. He would not fit in like that. But, and, and to do that for one season, I think is fine. Uh, I don't know that that's a long-term thing you'd want to see. Uh, but I'll tell you, Kevin De Bruyne, Jack Grealish, even Phil Foden banging balls into the box to put Cristiano Ronaldo on the end of them uh, probably would work out okay. Yep. It's... <laughs> It could go either way, like you said, because in footballing terms, I mean, we need a guy there to put the these to put the, the ball in the net when all these creative players are getting the ball to him. But like you said, we tend to go, even if we spend big, we never really buy, I guess, what you would call like true Galacticos. Mm-hmm. We don't buy Neymar, Mbappe, Messi, Pogba, Ronaldo. And I think it's because, well, for first of all, to work in Guardiola's system, you need to work really hard. I think even Ronaldo would be expected to do that, and yep. I just don't think he would. 
Um, it, we, we tend to go for players. We spend a lot of money on them. They're super highly rated, but at the same time, they're team players. They're not giant egos. I mean, who who do we have? Do we have anyone? Even Grealish, he's not an ego guy. He doesn't come across as a really big, oh, look at me. We don't have anyone like that, do we? Whereas if you look at some other teams, even United, I mean, with Pogba, I would say Fernandez seems like that kind of guy. Yeah. It just doesn't work for us. And I think Ronaldo, it might not work out, like you said, because of his character. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think it, it's 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 one of those things that if it happens, it can go either way. I really think if, if you get him in the first season, it'll be great. If you do something, try to do something long-term with him, eventually it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So how do you see the season going? We've brought in Grealish. We didn't get Kane. Do you think that we are going to finally get over? Let's do two things. First of all, can we finally get over the line in the Champions League now that we have Grealish? Is it enough to make a difference without that recognized number nine? Although Gabby Jesus will have something to say about that, I'm sure. Second thing, who is going to be challenging us for the title and can we retain it? So I, I kind of thought about this a lot. So my expectations for 2022, uh, the end of the year. So I, I think we'll be right there in Champions League. I think if we had added someone like Kane, you would then be able to say, oh, clear favorite for sure. Right. At this point right now, I don't think we are the clear favorite for Champions League. Um, I, I do think we're probably the still probably still the clear favorite for the the premier league um but it by no means do i think that it's going to be a 12 point uh, you know uh procession to the title like it was last year even though we didn't start off great right and by the time uh february had rolled around the club i mean the, the trophy was decided uh i don't think that'll be the case yeah. uh, you've got united and liverpool and chelsea who've improved their sides and really spurs from what we thought they would be just a couple of weeks ago, right? Now have improved their side by adding a player like Harry Kane, who none of us thought would still be there at this point. So they've improved as well. Again, I, I still think with you that they're going to be kind of fighting to, are they going to be the Euro League? I think for Spurs, a great year would be to be in the Champions League. But, um, you know, it's it's the standard is raised at Man. So it, every year the expectation has to be, Champions League, top of the table, FA Cup, Carabao Cup, Champions League final, all of it, the quad every year. Otherwise, what are we doing at this point, right, as it is currently constructed? No, yeah. I agree. That's where we are. And I think even without the centre forward, we'll definitely be up there for everything. I think if you, on paper, look in the Champions League, PSG, if they keep Mbappe, are definitely the favourites. And then I think really in terms of the other finalists, it's kind of us or Bayern or... Maybe Chelsea, Liverpool, we're definitely up there to, to get into the final at least. And then in the league, it's the same. I mean, Liverpool have got Van Dijk back. That's like a new signing. Spurs keeping Kane. It's like a new signing. And I think it, I actually hope this. I'd like us to win the league, but I don't know about you, but I prefer to win the league when there's like four teams fighting to the death yeah. to the very end and yeah. then we win it to finish it in February. It's just, I want that. I want, as a football fan. You're, you're never going to get that 2012 again, right? But something like that. Something really tight comes down to the last, at least last couple weeks, right? Where maybe the last two weeks, yeah. here, you're like, yes, finally, we're, we're through. We're definitely going to win. But um, it, it, to have the, dr the drama on the last day of Premier League is always the best thing for it. And to be honest, I think, and I think there's certainly a lot of City fans that were like, look, if I could trade this year's Premier League title, for a definite yes, we're going to win the Champions League. I would trade it right now. Trade it right now. Yeah, hundred percent, definitely. I know that there's a lot of purists, especially the Man City fans who don't like UEFA, who talk about you know the league is always the priority. But I, I don't agree at all. Honestly, mm. I'd trade five years of not winning the league just to win the Champions One League. Like, for me, it's the entire Put that thing. Star above the crest, right? So. <laughs> exactly. For me, it's everything. It's it's the the if we're going to be a dynasty, yeah. we need to start winning well, a couple of those things. And I hope, I hope that we can. Um, speaking of being a dynasty, before we get into our little quiz that we're oh going to do here, I just want to finish off by asking you, how do you see the future of the club in the next sort of decade? How long do you see Pep staying? And just how high can we reach? Can we become a real, you know, can we match those great clubs like Real and, and um, Bayern and Ajax? Can we become... A leg, a, a real, a real dynasty in the in the next ten years. Well, that's always tough. Uh, for the, just kind of last part, 
first. Um, I mean, those those Real teams, those Bayern teams, they were just so dominant. So it's it's hard to say yes, we can definitely do that. I mean, I think it's there for you, um, but you're gonna have to really uh, get under people's skin buying more players. Uh, but <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, I think over the next ten years or so, the infrastructure at City is in place from what it was when uh, when Sheikh Mansour bought the club to what it is now. The investment that City Football Group has made in the academy, in the facilities, in the women's side, in the men's side, they have put in place the, the framework of a club that can be self-sufficient and move forward um, as a big club going forward. There's, I don't think there's any going back to that small little club. Right. It's not going to happen. Uh, Ferran Soriano, uh, Chiki Birgerstein, uh, like again, Sheikh Mansour, they've put this all in place. Uh, and, you know, now you, you ask about Pep and his future. He gives an interview yesterday saying that maybe at the end of his contract, at the, when that comes up at the end of next season, he might take a break you know, then reflect. So now every Man City fan across the world has got all this anxiety about Pep leaving. But the point of it is eventually going to go, whether it's in two years or, you know, there's, it, he's not going to be here forever. Uh, but I think what they've done, even though Pep is, is I, I don't think you replace Pep Guardiola. He's just extremely special as a manager. But it, it they've made Man City an extremely attractive place to come manage. So the big managers around the world and, you know, they will want to come to city. You know what I mean? Whoever it happens to be the next one, whether it's maybe it's Thomas Tuchel, maybe it's someone, I mean, who, who would be available at that point. But that when that seat becomes open because of the infrastructure, because of the pipeline of players that come through the academy, because of the investment of the ownership group, any manager would definitely want to be the manager of city. No, 100%. I think we could have the pick of the bunch. It would be really interesting to see who it would be. Maybe Nagelsmann when he's done at, at Munich, maybe something like that. But it would be strange not to have Pep because I was devastated when Mancini left. Mancini will always be, for oh. me, the, the pinnacle. He's he's my hero. As much as I was gutted when we lost the Euros, I, I, we couldn't have lost it to a, to anyone any anyone better. I just... I really yep. love Mancini. For, I, I love him more than Guardiola. For me, he's he'll always be he my He got hero. us over the line. He yeah. got us over the line. We did it. Exactly. Right? And in such fashion. And oh, it's such anyway. fashion. And <laughs> he's he's a hero of mine. And and I thought um I thought Pellegrini did a good job. He brought us some great memories too. I've got love for Pellegrini, but but with Pep, he's been here quite a while now. It's you really get used to it and it would be just strange, wouldn't it, if he was gone. It would be yeah. would feel weird. <laughs> well, the style of football that he's brought to Man City is just—it just—it's so beautiful to watch the team play. They're just—they're just amazing uh, under him. He just has them ready every week. Well, when he doesn't not put Dino in the lineup, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> when he doesn't <laughs> defeat himself, right? Which he likes to do on on occasion. Okay, so Tom, we're gonna finish off with uh, a few little questions here in what I like to call "Do you know your heroes?" Don't worry, it's not. It's uh, it's quite difficult. So rarely uh, do people succeed. So don't worry. It's okay. All, it's okay. all good. It's more of a kind of learning experience for both of us because I learned a lot researching it, and uh, and you're going to learn a lot hopefully too. And if if you get them all wrong, don't worry, it happens a lot. So I'm likely to get them all wrong. Go ahead. <laughs> so don't worry. Uh, how many top flight titles have Man City won in the Premier League era? So how many Premier League Premier League titles? titles. Uh, it's five. Correct. Very good. In 2017-2018, Man City broke the record for the highest number of goals scored by a team in a single Premier League season. How many goals did they score in that season? You know, that one I definitely don't know. I'm going to guess, I'll take a guess, uh, 72. 106? Oh, no, it's going to go 100, but I was like, no, it's too much. Way too much. <laughs> I had forgotten. I know that we, I remember that we broke the record because I remember all the yep. people talking about it all the time, but I had to look up the number too. Uh, I'm really bad with remembering numbers and dates, so I wouldn't get any of these. No way. Um, I have to be double checking them when I did my research. <laughs> uh, so the club's record goal scorer is, of course, Cunaguero. How many goals did Sergio score in all competitions during his decade at the uh, club? That one, it's so, 260. 260 goals. Yeah. Yes, yeah. correct. Very good. 
This one, um, you can only know by doing research. Okay. But it's a funny one. It's a it's a fun one. So the club just paid a hundred million pounds for Jack Grealish. But do you know the cost of their earliest recorded transfer? Uh, I don't. I'll say two hundred and fifty pounds. That was the back then. That was a lot of money. It was actually two pence. Ah! <laughs> that was in October eighteen ninety six. They yeah, paid two yeah, pence wow. to buy a guy called John Gunn from Bolton Wanderers. How things well, have changed. He better, he better been worth the. He better been worth the, the pennies. I wonder how much of an impact he made for two p. I bet they were. They've they've got to be expecting forty goals a season for that. Yeah. Uh, which player has contributed the most assists in the history of the that? Game? Is easy for me to to say. Is David Silva? Yes, it is. Do you know how many? I wouldn't know without looking. Ah, uh, I want to say it's like. 70 something uh double it 140 assists wow 141 he scored 140 sorry he provided 141 assists that's amazing as the best player in the history of the club amazing amazing an absolute hero um this one is an interesting one that um a couple of these ones are, are from um from nowadays now apart from england which nationality is most represented in the current squad? The current squad. Uh, my guess would be Spain. That is correct, but it's actually a three-way tie. Ah. Spain, Portugal, and Brazil all have three players. Ah, very good. Okay. Oh, and yeah. England yeah. has uh, five, I think, yeah. or six. Um, this next one really surprised me. It this This one, maybe you already know it, but there's only one player who has ever won the World Cup while playing for Man City, while being a registered Man City player. Not, you know, in the history of their career, but while they were playing, they went to the World Cup and they won it. Do you know who it is? Is it Summerby? No. No, it's it's, it's more more recent. Oh, recent. It's quite Um, modern, actually. I'm very surprised. Benjamin Mendy. Oh, wow, that's right. How crazy is that, right? <laughs> you almost forget. That's, that's how embarrassing the club is, right? You almost forget Mendy most of the time. I know, right? And it's <laughs> it's just so it's so weird that, um, you know, I guess I always thought that Silva was with yeah, us, but, but no, he wasn't with us. And It was directly yeah. after. And we signed him right after the World Cup. And I even had yeah. to look. I didn't trust it. So I looked back and I checked and I saw, okay, so when France won, okay, yeah, it was only Mendy. Then I went back to, I think, Germany. Okay, everyone played for Bayern Munich, basically. You go back and you find that, actually, of all the fantastic worldies that we've had, there's only ever been one who won the World Cup while he was a Man City player. While while wearing a City shirt. That's crazy. Benjamin Mendy. And the final one, this is uh, slightly uh, a little bit before your time, but we're not talking Summerby era, but definitely in my my era. Okay, okay. Um, At the end of every season, the Man City Supporters Club vote for a Player of the Year. Which player has won that the most? You know, just from his uh, popularity in the club, I'm going to go say Goder. Close. It, he is also a legend, and he did win it once or twice, I think. But actually, Richard Dunn won. Oh, wow. Yeah. He won four consecutive Player of the Year awards between 2004 <laughs> and 2008. But KDB is on his tail. KDB has three. Yeah, I would sure. And you got I to think, imagine. I think DeBrino passes. He'll get five or six <laughs> in the coming years, hopefully, if he yeah. uh, stays fit and we keep him. But Tom, thank you so much. It's been so, so good to meet you. And um, obviously, we're both hoping for a great season for Manchester City. I hope that you have a great day there. I hope that yep. um, we haven't disturbed your day too much, getting you up at crazy o'clock in the morning. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, I'm just going to really quickly plug it. You can find my writings at bitterandblue.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at duckman 4 real Duckman, the number four, real. Thanks a lot, Tom. Go and check it out, guys. Thank you. Have a great day, buddy. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening. It really genuinely helps a small podcast like ours to grow. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend who may also like it. We appreciate this more than you could imagine. Head to sportacost.com for news, data, statistics, live streams, everything you need for the world of football. 
You can also follow us on Twitter at Sportacos.com. You can follow myself at Craig Sportacos. And we would love to read out the thoughts and questions of our listeners, so please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at Sportacos.com with your opinions or your questions, and we'll get to them on the next episode. Thanks again so much to Thomas for coming on to speak to us today. Thanks so much to you for listening, and see you on the next episode of the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.